Okay, for real this time. Okay. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to You Good Sis. Welcome back. I'm Kayla. I'm Alexia. And we did it again. We remembered our names. Hey. (laughs) So, um, hey, sis. How you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm doing I'm, I had to take a nap to reset today. You did? I did. I got that text. Uh, it mostly worked. So I'm still, I'm still, I woke up and tried to do the day and it just wasn't doing. So I was like, you know what? We'll restart. Yeah. And I took a nap and things are still whatever, <laughs> but they're a better whatever than they were the first time I woke up. I love that. And you're here now. I am here. Like Seeley. Uh, always <laughs> always catch it like Seely. she's speaking here. of come on movie oh yeah that's the thing that's happening that's the thing that's happening that's the thing that's happening color purple how about you you good i'm i am good procrastination has been my best friend for about a day and a half now i had well okay fair i had a long week last week mm-hmm. i was working every day as you know and then it rolled into this week i thought i was gonna have a day off i did not get a day off and so i made a day off with procrastination oh. <laughs> so at the end of the week i have so much to do but i'm really happy i binged ozark and i was super creative i mean i got into all the collaging i was doing photo shoots i blah, blah, blah by myself of course <laughs> But um, but I was super creative with my time. But uh, yeah, now it's time to snap back. Starting yeah. with yeah, here we go. Okay. Yeah, for ain't that um this week at woof. Okay, listen, there's some stuff going on out there, and I'm not too hype about any of it really. <laughs> Very difficult time putting that. this together, uh, which is part of why I had to take a nap. Um, but I found some ain't that ums. That made it a little easier to digest. You did. Thank you, friend. So I don't know if you've heard, but uh, America is not a racist country. At least that's what Nikki Haley says. Um, Wait. <laughs> we're not what? These are words that were uttered into a microphone at the Republican National Convention by Nikki Haley, who is a former governor of South Carolina and who served as ambassador to the United Nations under the Trump administration. She stepped down a want to say in 2018 okay i didn't write that detail down that's how much i care but (laughs) (laughs) nikki haley was born to indian punjabi american sikh immigrants in south carolina what what (laughs) and her father was a professor at Voorhees college which is a historically black institution in south carolina so i'm fascinated as to how these words escaped her mouth um not i'm not gonna say surprised because i'm not i'm not i'm not nothing surprises me. nothing surprises me anymore well you know i was surprised that uh i all this time i don't pay like i said i've been my brain is swiss cheese when it comes to politics after 2016 it's just like i was very involved in receiving information before then yeah. and then i had to step back emotionally right and so now when i do tap in i feel like i'm just catching up on so many things i spent the few years i've known this name thinking that nikki haley was a white woman she's not for sure but um my ink that i'm for this Mm -hmm. is from one of our new favorite shows lovecraft country hey um because in this most recent episode from this past sunday one of the characters a white woman Mm -hmm. was speaking of her father Played by Tony Goldwyn. <laughs> I know exactly what you're gonna say. And she was like, "Oh no, my father and his his associates would never fraternize with the clan. They're too poor." And 
specifically the pause. It was the, it was the like, oh no, like we would never associate with those people. They're, they're too, too poor. poor. But <laughs> that's my ink that um because people of a of a certain status no matter their background, as you can see here, people of a certain status, of a certain position, of of certain beliefs, mm-hmm. really separate themselves from racism just because they don't practice it in a way that is as direct and violent and obvious mm-hmm. as the clan. You know, like, yeah. oh, just because I don't practice racism in this way, I'm not racist. People don't know what racism is. No. Um, but girl, another ain't that, um, I want to go back to that vine from, what was his name? Antonio. I don't remember his last name. He said, you are so dumb. You are really dumb. For, For real. real. Dotson. Antonio Dotson. I don't know where Who I, I believe is like, owns his own real estate firm now. I might be lying. I don't know But I feel I like I saw that, that happening. information from at all. Online hero. <laughs> Online hero. But yeah, Nikki Haley said America is not a racist country. And so I want to know which America, I mean, the America she lives in is a a very different one than most of us live in. Um, Wonder what it's like over there. I don't really. The America she exists in. Because whatever she's telling herself is not what's happening around her. Detached from reality. Yeah. Yeah. She's telling herself a different narrative. Yeah. Because how at this time? Honestly, I could have taken this two years ago from some white passing woman at this time. I couldn't have. Please. No. Please. But, okay. Yeah, anyway, that's all I have to say about moving that. Moving on, I'm going to talk about, um, so we all know about the Jacob Blake uh, shooting. case. Yeah, I'm like, why am I, yeah, shooting, uh, just to put it blunt. Um, he was shot seven times in the back trying to uh, break up a fight between two women, and he walked away from the police, and as he was getting into his car, they shot him seven times in the back at close range. I had the unfortunate uh, uh, the unfortunate opportunity to see the video, uh, which I did not ask for. You know, it's just the, the widespread publicized um, lynchings are just the most and I hate that I'm like starting to feel desensitized to them so at the protest in Kenosha mm-hmm. Wisconsin yeah Kenosha Wisconsin um, two protesters well three protesters were shot two of them died and one of them is now injured they were shot by 17 year old Kyle Rittenhouse who has now been um, charged with first-degree intentional murder. Here's the issue. I don't understand how he walked away from this claim. I understand how. Yeah. I mean, like, I we've seen how. it. We've yeah. seen it. But what what is literally going on? Like, it's fine. It's a 17-year-old. I don't know if he's being tried as an adult or not. And I know that kids have a certain level of protect. But, I mean, this is a man. Kids have a certain level of protection when they're white. Yeah. Yeah. But let a 15-year-old black boy do something like this. He's getting charged he, as an adult. Oh, and he's not walking away from the situation. No. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yes. Uh, luckily, Jacob Blake did walk... Oh, well, luckily, Jacob Blake did come out of this alive. We uh, definitely wish... <laughs> I mean wish the best for his family and everyone in the situation moving forward but this kid it, it just is mind-blowing to me and i'm not i'm not at all saying that people should die but it's mind-blowing to me that this kid walked away from this so for my eighth that um um i actually relate this to pumped up kicks 
Oh, you know, and yeah. everyone had this like fascination with pumped up kicks because it's such a like catchy song. Um, and it's really great to like take you out of the times. You're just like grooving along. We used to like ride down the fucking uh, ride down the streets, like going to our school, smoking weed, like in college and listening to pumped up kicks. But then when everyone heard that it was um, about a shooter, it obviously took an, it like it adds another level to the song. But in the song, um, it mostly talks about the privilege Mm. that these these shooters tend to have um and obviously they tend to be white (laughs) from what we've seen and and i just think um there's something kind of like rose-colored glasses Mm. and pumped up kicks where it's like okay this is a thing that's happening and we're all gonna like publicize it we're gonna listen to it on the radio we're gonna play it as we smoke weed like we do have to sit there and watch all these things happen on instagram but like this is some real shit and this kid has privilege and we're just like (laughs) you know like because they have that whistle in the background we're all just like fucking tuned out i just i yeah it it immediately reminded me of pumped up kicks so that's my ain't that um i do want to add that the chief of police in kenosha wisconsin uh, went to the podium, I believe today, mm-hmm. maybe yesterday. Today is Wednesday. Um, and said, you know, last night, the 17-year-old individual from Antioch, Illinois, was involved in the use of firearms to, to resolve, resolve whatever, whatever conflict, conflict was in place. Was in place. Which, this idea of, of people like young Kyle Rittenhouse showing up with a rifle mm-hmm. and thinking that he's a part of some sort of militia. Yeah, they think they're, to, they're serving a higher purpose. Yeah. It's almost kamikaze. Um, yeah, and then the chief of police also said if everyone wasn't past curfew, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Okay. So I'm just curious as to if your racism stops at 6 p.m. or not. This is very similar to telling women that they're getting raped because of the clothing that they wear. Well, you, you know, know, if everyone like, were at home, then he, he would have stopped being racist if you would have just let him eat dinner. Oh, well, if everyone if you were just at waited, home, he would have, he would have just, kept that rifle in his yeah, closet. Yeah, he, he would have wanted to attack day. protesters if you did this at 2 p.m. And this was the only time that he ever had this idea was after dark. Was after, yeah. You know, so I mean, freaks come out at night. Give him a break. Freaks come out at night. Ain't that up? I'm sorry, that's my ain't that up. <laughs> this is this is my correction. My ain't that up is freaks come out at night. Oh God, I'm so sorry to do that to that song. That's a jam. It should not be connected to this. Um, the last story for ain't that um this week is Brianna Ta- the Brianna Taylor cover of Vanity Fair. Oh, it's so beautiful. So. I'll get into more. For now, I'm going to state the facts. Facts are Amy Sherald, who also painted Michelle Obama for the National Portrait Gallery in 2018, um, rendered this image. And she considers the portrait a contribution to the movement and to activism. Producing this image keeps Brianna alive forever. And I got that quote from a, a Vanity Fair article. This is a Vanity Fair cover. Yeah? Um, <laughs> you sound like me. Yeah? Yeah. I So... I do think it's a beautiful cover. I saw that it had happened, of course, through social media. Uh Um, I saw a lot of mixed feelings about it because, you know, the argument, okay, so we're circulating Brianna's image, we're putting her on t-shirts, we're using these memes and posts and to draw people into seeing her name. A lot of people were were like, we don't want a Vanity Fair cover, we want the police to be arrested and charged now i didn't have a strong opinion one way or the other um until i looked into this article 
where the artist Amy Sherald again then continued to say, I wanted this image to stand as a piece of inspiration to keep fighting for justice for her. When I look at the dress, it reminds me of Lady Justice. Mm. Now, the dress that she painted onto Brianna was inspired by a design by a black woman, Jasmine Elder of Jabri, which is a black owned, again, plus size fashion company. Um, she's had designs worn by Tamala Mann, Tasha Cobbs, Kiara Shear, Jill Scott, Takara, Amber Riley. Like this particular dress was inspired. Like a- Amy Sherald found this artist from a dress that Daniel Brooks wore. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, Whoa! What an honor. That's right. amazing. And then reached out to her, you know, from from that image, and and then added some things artistically that made it a little more youthful than mm-hmm. to to what she wanted to put on this cover. Um, though Danielle Brooks is young, I will say that. Uh, <laughs> he, there 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 was conflict on the timeline about how yeah. people felt about this, and I do understand that as an artist the quote about wanting the image to stand as a piece of inspiration stuck with me more than anything else because you know there are people who are fighting on the legal side of this who are fighting on on the street protest side of this and uh, an artistic piece of inspiration will really can really manifest something within yeah. them and then with the people who do want to dismiss brianna taylor's name you know the the hashtag say her name was created for the sake of remembering black women who are affected by mm-hmm. police brutality mm-hmm. um it's you know a reminder as well it's not just for the sake of from from the artist words I gather that it's not just for the sake of painting a pretty picture of Brianna and putting it out there because that's the topic of of the hour. It was right. really to, you know, honor that this young woman's life was taken from us. And you know what? What happened to this is the thing. What happened to Brianna Taylor was legal. Mm-hmm. It was wrong. But as the system stands, as legal action in America stands, as police privilege stands, it was legal. Wow. And that's the problem. Wow. That's the problem, and I, I think that um, also also as artists we know that sharing images and sharing stories that is also work. Yeah, and I think people are, are forgetting that in that in their frustration, which is fair because sometimes her image and her name is being manipulated yeah. and not honored. I don't see this as one of those cases. No. Um, but I do respect the frustration of the people who do. Well, I, I absolutely think do. One of the things is we are living in a world where we get our influx of information in very quick bites. And I Along seen, with everyone's opinions. We get everyone's along, opinions. And with everyone's the opinions I get way more than the actual fact of a situation. You yeah. know what I mean? So I have seen mm-hmm. Brianna's image uh, on the Vanity Fair cover publicized over and over and over. I've seen it everywhere. It's so I think it's gorgeous but I've seen it everywhere but I have never not once until this moment us recording heard the symbolism behind that cover yeah never not once and I think if people had that information at the forefront they would be a little less inclined to just like jump and be like this is not what we want yeah. because usually that is the case and also the touches the artist uh considered and incorporated to be specific yeah. about Brianna Taylor, the, the like, image that or dress that inspired her, she added a slit to it because she was like, "Oh, she was twenty six, like yeah, cute. Or even the engagement ring that her boyfriend intended on giving her, she included the ring oh, on her hand. So it's sad. just that sort of attention to 
a young woman's life being lost yeah. uh, really changes the tone as opposed to, you know, a meme. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even know that was the tone. You know, yeah. that's beautiful. That's my, beautiful. My ain't that um for this is from Lost in Language and Sound, mm. which is, or, or, how I Found My Way to the Arts, which is a collection of essays oh, by Ntozake Shange. Mm-hmm. And Friend of the podcast. Uh, that, that, that hit me. Like, when, when she passed, that was a public figure death that, that gutted me. Yeah. For sure. Um, but yes, in, in one of her essays, she says, I didn't know whether a word, note, or a movement would get where I had to go, but I knew I'd be there. That's how I do what I do, mm. and I feel like that's the like the, these these artists, that's the words these of the writers, artist. these publishers, these editors. Their work is in producing this content. This is their work. This is how they talk about what matters to them. This is their activism. And, you know, this is their activism. Um, that's how they do what they do, and when they do it responsibly, I, I. I like to take the time to honor and celebrate that. No, Though, I like I said, I understand. It. I do understand the frustration. Yeah, in certain cases. Yeah. It has been very just. For me. For Alexia Marie, this is not one of those cases. Yeah. This is a case where I'm thanking Amy Cheryl. Yeah. For her work. And, and that was Ain't That On. Okay. All right, friend. We're going to take a deep breath. Yeah, we're going to restart because that was heavy. It was. It was. Let's spread some black joy. Let's do it. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. This week, our I see you is going to 16-year-old Tyla Simone Creighton, who turned her homemade chicken wing sauce into a business bringing in six figures a year. Come on, mama. Go, mama. But... Also, to point out, she's been doing this for half of her life, okay? She first created this sauce when she was eight. I do want to point that out. I got most of these details from CNBC. Um, Tyla Simone, when she was a kid, her mom and aunties would have Wing and Wine Wednesdays, which I think is something we're about to incorporate here in this house. We definitely are, as soon as we get gas. And she knows... <laughs> That's that's another story. <laughs> and she said her family was in their apartment in Bedside, Brooklyn. And on one Wednesday when she was eight, her mother realized she had no sauce for the homemade chicken wings. And Tyler said, I got you. No way. At eight. At eight. I got you, mama. I got you, auntie. Yes, she did. And she started playing around. She said she had always, you know, been creative and, and put oh, unique things together. She said And made a wing sauce tangy. for her family. Mm-hmm. And then her mom, you know, rallied behind her and invested in her. And they started to do like a little pop-up restaurant from their house. Oh. And then the sauce was popular that Tyler would batch it and sell it. Would batch it every Sunday and then sell it to people who had been customers of the in-home pop-up wow. restaurant. Um, since then... She has gained over a thousand investors, and now her sauce is being sold in at least 70 stores. We have to get some. We have to get some. She now has three sauces. She has tangy, she has spicy, and she has lemon pepper, and they are all gluten-free. That's all you need. She says most of her sales are from online sales, so if you want to look up Miss Tyla Simone Creighton, and the sauce is called Sienna Sauce. S-I-E-N-N-A is named from the area she's from. Okay, she's from yeah. uh, Missouri City, Texas. The area okay, is, is 
Sienna. So Sienna sauce. I will be visiting that website. Um, in the article I read, it was to be available on more websites soon, like Walmart.com and Amazon and everything. Get her in a Whole um, Foods. But definitely at their own website. And so we will be looking that up. Yes. I'll have it right next to my mambo sauce. Get mama. So, I mean, everywhere. That's amazing. Little Miss Tyler Simone and well, mama, we see you. We see you. We see you. Lexi, who all gonna be there? Who all gonna be there? It's still Amber. an important question. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, but this week it's Amber Iman. This week we have Amber Iman. Now, at the top of the interview, we have a great introduction as to who Amber is and what she does. But just to give a quick rundown before we go into that lovely interview footage. If we you're got, not woke already. If you, if you don't know, now you will know. <laughs> Amber Iman is an, is an actor, writer, producer, activist. I do also want to point out that when I made this list at first, I didn't put vocalist. And th- that voice... I mean that voice. I do believe that Amber's version of Santa Baby cured my seasonal depression last yes. year. Yes, I do think it did. It's so good. It's so good. Oh my lord. Too good. Um, Amber was raised in Georgia. She was a Georgia peach mm-hmm. who was then trained at. The Howard University, of course. who then moved to New York City to make her mark off-Broadway, on-Broadway, in theaters around the country, in national tours. Uh, she co-founded Broadway Advocacy Coalition and Black Women on Broadway, and somehow found time to talk to us. And she's just like an all-around badass. So. I mean, honestly. <laughs> so here's our interview with Amber Iman. Okay, so now we're back with Amber Iman. Pew, 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 pew. Gotta get those air horns in. Who all gonna be there? <laughs> How are you doing today, sis? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're hanging in there. We... It's, 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 uh, a sh- there's a struggle in the air today. Yeah, we here. But this is a highlight of my day, so. This is the highlight. So right from the top, we're just gonna have you quickly go through so that we're not those people running down your credits. We're gonna have you quickly go through what's important about yourself to you. Um, What's important to me, I'm Amber Mon. I'm born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a Howard University grad. Um, I've lived in New York eight years. I've been on Broadway a couple times. I love to tell stories. Um, I am an activist. I have a nonprofit called Broadway Advocacy Coalition. I started, uh, co-founded Black Women on Broadway, an online platform. I'm an only child. Um, (laughs) Important. Yes. (laughs) I'm single. I'm ready to mingle. And my favorite color is yellow. Those are the Yeah. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. Um, Are you good? Today, I'm good. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair and fine. In in your intro of yourself, you said you are an actor, you are a storyteller, also an activist. Um, We're at home in the pandemic on Zoom. (laughs) But how has the pandemic changed your work so far? You know what? I was just saying, um, like yesterday, how grateful I am to be in the pandemic because it has really allowed me space, time and opportunity to like think and dream and imagine and just 
create things that have always like been an idea that I flirted with or something that I was intrigued by, but now I have nothing but time and opportunity. Um, I'm grateful for stillness because I don't do well sitting down. I don't know how to sit down. Um, and this, I have to sit down. Like, there's nothing else to do, bitch. You got to sit down. <laughs> so I'm like grateful for that. I am. And it, it, it was in stages. Like the first couple months, I was not here. It took me probably until June, July-ish to really want to start, like, tapping in and listening and being still um, and just giving myself a ch the chance to try, just to try anything. What if I try to write this? What if I try to imagine that? Um, so it's been such a great opportunity for me to, like, check off some of those things that are on that like list of things to do before you die or list of things to do, just try or attempt. Um, so I'm grateful. Like I'm trying to see once the world opens back up, how I can continuously give myself this type of space and opportunity to really create and tell my own stories and um, just to try stuff. I feel like I don't always try shit yeah. or I, busy or there's no time or I'm so tired from doing all the other things that we have to do all the job shit and the just living in a busy ass city and never getting to see people or do things like I never have time and I want to find a way to incorporate this time that we have like in my life I'm like I, I kind of would like once a month to have like a three-day quarantine just like every 28 days just yes. to is where I'm like, bye, I ain't seeing y'all. I'm sitting on my couch and I'm doing my stuff. Um, so yeah, I definitely want to try and figure out how to move a little bit more like this in my everyday life because it's just given me uh, a chance to imagine and create things that I, I never would have. Yeah, I definitely echo that feeling too. And, and I know at the top of the pandemic and quarantining and all of that, I definitely had to pull away for a couple of months and I mean, you have brought to the world, though, in this pandemic, Black Women, Black on, Broadway. women on Broadway, and then the Broadway Advocacy Coalition. And it's like, did you wake up one day with the energy to move forward with that? Or how did those next steps of moving out of the first couple months where you kind of have to rehabilitate? How did you get into working on those projects? Well, the thing about Black Women on Broadway is we had started planning about a year and a half ago, but from a different angle. I'm sure you all know the Black Women in Hollywood brunch, right? Mm -hmm. And it's been happening for th 13 years. And every day uh, I will wake up and be like, today is the day Essence is going to announce the Black Women on Broadway brunch. Today is the day. I feel it. And for 13 years, no. And I'm, I'm doing everything on my end. Danielle Brooks and I are like trying to reach out to Essence, get in contact. And she has all the plugs. And she was like, I, you know, I talked with a woman and there, there was no like, oh yeah, we, there was, that wasn't the thing. <laughs> it was, she was like, oh, that sounds like a lovely idea for you all. We're like, okay, Sam. Enjoy. <laughs> so we were like, you know what? That seems pretty on brand. If we want to have a moment like that, we're going to have to create it ourselves. So we started originally, our idea was the brunch would be our inaugural event. And then we had a five-year plan that would include mentorship and scholarship and all these other things. So we were planning the brunch was going to be April of 2020. 
And the crazy thing was Danielle had her baby and I was working and Jocelyn Beal was working. And we, uh, we said round about January, let's push it to 2021. And I am so grateful that we did because no down payments went out. Like we had gone to venues and we started looking at places, but no money had been spent. Um, we had gotten a partnership sponsorships, but it was so early that I am so grateful that we canceled it because we wouldn't have been having it anyway. So while we were quarantined, we had a moment of like, well, what can we do now? How can we keep the momentum up or use this downtime to plan? And just through a series of conversations with the girls, I was like, well, everybody's at home on the couch. So maybe we go backwards. Maybe we use this time to build the platform, build the followers, let people know what Black Women on Broadway is about so that when the world opens back up, the brunch isn't inaugural, but it's like, look at all the stuff we accomplished during quarantine, look at all all the relationships and the networking and all the things that happened. So the brunch will be like a celebration of everything that we did during the pandemic. Um, so the ladies and I, this is something I just believe in myself. I never want to create in a vacuum. Like I don't believe in sitting in my house and coming up with an idea. I need to like talk to the women in my community. Is this what you want or need? And I pulled like 15 random girls in my phone and I was like, sis, what are what do you need? What don't you see? What don't you have? And the responses were like financial literacy we don't know nothing about money and i was like yes somebody was like you know i know how to beat my face to be simba or mufasa but i can't beat my face for a self-tape sis that's real so like all these ideas came in and i was like y'all let's just have a day and danielle was like let's have a theater appreciation day so it was just black girls talking to black girls which is i mean how most magic in the world is created and we just were like let's just do programming everybody's going to be sitting on their couch for the next year pretty much so that's how we want to use our time and I mean it's taken off in a way that I, I just looked at the ground like we have almost 6,000 followers in like two months like people <laughs> reaching out people are are talking to us and asking us for things um, we're doing a writer's workshop Jocelyn Bio is going to teach how to write for TV film and theater and then we want to do a producing workshop after that to really help black women understand what it means to produce so it's like we just want to give people the tools that they need to succeed and create because yeah. there's so little of that there's so many people who are like the gatekeepers of the knowledge and the information and it's like okay, well, let's figure out a way to disseminate this information to the Black women, because we magic and we out here doing it and creating it, and we get things done. Yeah. So, like, that's the work from of Black women on Broadway happened that way, Broadway Advocacy Coalition. You know, we've been around for four years, but the past couple of years, our work has been away from Broadway. Um, we have a J-term course at Columbia University. We've been working a lot um, in the Bronx with the Bronx Defenders, or there are a lot of different organizations that we have partnered with that are away from Broadway. And the crazy thing about it is I sent Britton Smith, our president and my co-founder, a text. And I was like, so what are we going to say on the BAC page? And I literally meant like a post, y'all. I, I just, <laughs> I meant like a Black Lives Matter, you know, like, just so people don't have no confusion about where we stand. Like, clearly y'all don't think we don't stand, but just, you know. And I, he heard me. But he thought I meant forum. And I was like, I didn't mean a forum. <laughs> I mean, he, he was right. And I, I knew something was going to happen. But us planning the three-day forum just came out of us 
watching the community, listening, yeah. watching people not do anything, watching people be real radio silent. And BAC did what BAC does best, which is get people in a room together and, and start conversations. So I, I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't <laughs> like exhaustion because the forum and the Black Women on Broadway event, they were two weeks apart. So we were, I was planning both at the same time. I wasn't sleeping, <laughs> but I, there was just something in my spirit that was like, let's go. And that, that's how it happened. Yeah. yeah, so thank you for doing all the pre-work, you and your team. But um, I guess just to go back really quick to the top of that question, then what new things emerged from you once you kind of took your rehab for yourself since this was all kind of pre-existing for you? Well, um, I so I have a short film that I wrote in 2018, right? And it has still getting into film festivals and it's still winning awards which is really cool and I have a friend who works in casting who was like okay Amber everybody's sitting on the couch I want to get you some meetings with the heads of development at production companies crazy and I was like okay I don't know what that is but sure <laughs> so at the top of the quarantine I had two very big meetings where I'm just like sitting with the head of development of two very lovely companies on zoom and they watch Steve and they love it and they want to get to know me and both teams asked me like well what do you what else do you want to do what do you want to do moving forward and I said shorts I was like oh I'll write more shorts and I only said that because it was comfortable like I've done mm -hmm. a show won awards I know I can do it and they were asking about pilots and tv and I was like no and the only reason I was saying no is fear and they both said, well, you know, if at any point you have a pilot or you have treatments or anything that you want us to read, send them to us. We want to read them. And I got off that phone call and I was like, I acknowledge that I'm afraid. <laughs> I have no experience writing for TV or film and that scares the bejesus out of me. And that probably means that that's what I need to do next. So I was like, okay. Let me flirt with the idea of what an Amber TV show would look like. And I wrote a pilot. I wrote 30 pages of a comedy dramedy situation, which would have never happened. And I mean, I would sit out on my front lawn. I, I got lawn chairs like for the beach and I put them in my front lawn in Georgia. And I'm yes. there with my feet up eating watermelon on my computer trying to write a pilot. And I would pick it up and put it down for three or four days at a time. I would go plan for Black Women on Broadway and come back, go do BAC work, come back. I would just keep coming back to it. And I realized that writing the pilot was like my release. It was my therapy. It was like something that is for me. Everything else I have to show up for all these other people, BAC, BWOB, all these Bs, it's all these deadlines. But the pilot was like my thing for me and it brought me so much joy. And I, my producer director who I've worked with for a couple of years, he read it and he was like, oh bitch, you, you done wrote a pilot. Like, so, you know, so now we're talking like producing it, maybe what that would look like. And then there came this TV writers workshop pilot uh, uh, contest. Like you enter to win the chance to be among 10 pe people who get to be involved in a four month 
writer's workshop, how to write a TV show, how to write a pilot, how to produce, how to uh, pitch a series. Then I entered last minute, literally the day before the deadline. And I was like, I have no history in TV. I know nothing about writing for TV. I'm not going to get this. So I used it as a writing experiment. Like, let me, what is the prompt? Okay, let, what do they need? Let me just see. There were 1,300 people that entered and 58 semifinalists. And I'm one of 58 semifinalists. So, like, crazy. Yeah. No experience writing for TV. And I don't even know. I, I know my application was trash because I deleted it as soon as I sent it. Trash <laughs> cluttering up my MacBook. Let me delete her. And so to know that out of 1,300 people, y'all, I was one of the 58. It's just like so many things have been like affirming. Like, okay, sis, you wrote a pilot. Okay, sis, the people want you to be a semifinalist in this thing. It was like, you're doing the right things. Keep moving yeah. in this direction. So it's just really, this time has really taught me that like I might know what I'm doing. Um, I'm one of those people who's old school and I feel like, well, I don't have a degree in writing, so I'm not really a writer, which I have to get out of. I just respect the art of it and the craft of it so much. And I know to be an excellent writer, there are certain things that I need to sit down and, and read a book about. Let's be real. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't have a natural gift and a good ear and a good eye. So I'm literally trying to just be gentle with myself and encourage yeah. myself to keep moving and know that you're clearly doing something right. So yeah. that's where we are. Definitely, definitely. On the note of um, moving forward, when you catch momentum with something, um, with your own projects, with Broadway Advocacy Coalition, with Black Women on Broadway, there are a lot of, of changes that are being discussed and demanded, um, some of which take time when you're talking about systemic issues. What changes do you think we can make right away? Like there's no excuse to wait on the progress. I think the biggest change is the way we show up for each other in the rehearsal room. Ooh, yes. People are now, there's an awareness that has never been before. And I think you're going to see people in rehearsal rooms like with eyes aware and watching. Like, now I'm not saying we're going to wait on some racist shit to pop off, but you know what I mean? There's going to be that energy of I wish a bitch would because I think we will feel the power of a united force of people who have no tolerance for BS. Yeah. I think white people are on are standing by. I think black people are at the ready to yeah. show up and hold people accountable and call out BS and ask questions that people have not felt empowered to do. People have not felt like they had the agency or the vocabulary. I, so I feel like that is something immediate in that we can stand with each other, show up for each other, um, listen and lean on each other. I, I think a lot of that is missing. We say the words family and community, but we don't really mean that shit. And I think when we go back to work and we go back into the real world, I think that will be something that's immediate. It's just the way we hold people accountable. And the yeah. fact that we're not gonna have, we're not gonna be tolerating the same shit we were tolerating before. I yeah. think like, that shit is, is gone. Like that's, some, that's the thing that I think we won't ever see again. Some of these other changes that we're trying to do in, in breaking down and rebuilding infrastructures, like those things are gonna take years. But I think we're gonna start just seeing an awareness and hearing voices that have not 
spoken up and seeing that presence. I just think we're going to feel presence in rehearsal rooms of like, try it if you want to, white people. Try it. <laughs> Leaning in. <laughs> it is very that. I wish. I wish I, you would. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, with, with the community, like people relearning the words, family and community, um, I know that you've been a part of facilitating a lot of conversations that were particular to the people in a certain community. Like sometimes this conversation is only for black artists. Sometimes this conversation is only for black women. And that makes me curious as to what conversations do you think need to happen immediately within these communities so that we can, you know, push forward on other issues with more of a united energy? You know, we had a forum about, I hate the phrase, but like bridging the gap because there was a lot of unrest within our community. And there was a feeling of like, right now is the time for white people and systemic racism. We can't worry about this. And it's like, no, we need to be having all these conversations at the same time. Yeah. Um, there was a feeling of a separation in the Broadway community. And I mean, Broadway universal. So theater, regional, doesn't matter where. But there's this like feeling of elitism. And there's a feeling of, we don't, of young artists not having access to certain things or lack of education about certain things. And I mean, it all stems from racism and white supremacy. It all stems from us being pitted against each other. There's colorism. There's all kinds of things that are in there that we never take the time to really address. And so what I was hoping that people took away from that forum was like, first of all, we all need to be doing work on ourselves. We all need to be in somebody's therapy, in somebody's yoga, in somebody's whole food, eating vegetables, because... <laughs> the problems that we see are because people aren't doing their own work. Like if you are not showing up as a whole human being, if you're not showing up with your mantras and your, your peppermint oils and your things together, then it's like a virus. You come and spread your unhappiness and your um, anger and your vitriol. You spread that through a cast. You spread that through the rehearsal room. So like number one on my list was take this time y'all to figure out y'all shit speak to your demons, call your mama, forgive your daddy, whatever you need to do to work on being whole, that is number one. Secondly, forgive these people that you mad at. So-and-so didn't speak to me at this audition at Chelsea three years ago. What? People are really now holding on to the fact that breathed in the same elevator as Cicely Tyson and she didn't invite <laughs> house for dinner it's true it's true <laughs> i don't be speaking to me at Chelsea. <laughs> I, I mean people y'all the amount of petty that i have just had to hear and be like first of all you don't know the difference between personal and systemic like that ain't like that's personal and that has to do with you there's something in your spirit that you mad at somebody who didn't speak to you for three years that's something you need to work on so i just first want us to take like a just let's just do an evaluation self 
get self together. And then as we go into our small community groups, our small circles, how we communicate with each other is very important because it's all connected. How we communicate in our personal lives is how we communicate in these rehearsal rooms. And the things that hem us up in, in our chest, in our personal life, you bring that into the, into the room with you. So I think in the Black community, it's a lot of like, internal work because it's really easy to point fingers it's really easy to talk about what she isn't doing it or oh, well, why she got that gig and why she all of it is because self is unhappy self is unfed unchallenged whatever it is and so my big thing is like those are the conversations we need to be having we need to be challenging each other calling our sisters and loved ones out when we know that they ain't acting right like pull your sister to the side lovingly and be like sis i love you but that was foul yeah. we need to figure out a better way because it's like the work we do at home will prepare us so that when the world opens up and we go back into the world we're operating out of love we're operating out of health and wellness we're operating out of awareness it's like that was the root of everything is like we need to tap into here we need to be reading our books and doing our research and going to our therapy so our spirits can be right hello absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely um <laughs> let me just take a breath um you're absolutely right uh i'm gonna switch this up a little bit amber we we don't know each other personally <laughs> we will but um we don't know each other pers personally right now but i saw you perform in shuffle along on broadway um, and I don't even think I was living in the city yet. I think I just took a random trip to the city and was staying in a hotel alone. It's another I saw this alone story. And I happened to catch the one of the very ending performances of Shuffle Along with a full pregnant Audra. Um, I, I just want to share with our audience, you are such a graceful a uh, seasoned performer, and I don't even say seasoned as like an eighth, uh, speaking of ages. Elder. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it's just like you said with your writing, the talents are there. You know what I mean? And um, I, I'm, I'm sure you're dying to get back to the stage. And so I'm curious, what do you miss most about live theater right now in its absence? Hmm. I miss the people. Like... There are people, there are actors who are like, I miss playing that character. Like, I miss her so much. I don't miss characters. That's weird. It's weird to me. I'm like, what? <laughs> I miss her so much. She, I just miss her in my I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> I've never been there. Yeah, I'm not known that. But I my people. I miss the camaraderie. I miss, you know, after the gig going to get a fry and everybody sitting around having a margarita. I miss being in the room working together. I miss the collaboration. Um, I just miss Black folks being together and creating magic. Um, you talked about Shuffle Along and I think back to that time I mean, I spent the first two months of Shuffle Labs just confused as to why I was there. Just like, <laughs> the amount of information that I learned and picked up just from watching Audra and Stokes and Billy Port, just watching them work, I miss that like hands-on learning that happens. I miss um, when a director believes in you enough to let you just try shit. Like George C. Wolf really believed in me. He, he, he probably believed in me too much, but he would just 
and and there's something that happens when a director tells you that they believe in you that it's just so like affirming and freeing and it's like oh well okay I can play and try and workshop and just that feeling of like I am responsible for this like this text this story I it's my responsibility and obligation to help tell this story in the best way possible and there's something that is like it feels like it's tapped into your purpose as an artist, like uh, especially a story like Shuffle Along that has such an, a, a history and such, it held such a special place in my heart because it was Black people telling a Black story about Blackness. So I just miss all those moments to really just work with people that you love and respect and learn from them and grow from them um, that you just can't really feel in a Zoom room. I really do miss that. Yeah. See, the um, on the opposite end of Kayla starting her question, I've known you for a bit, which is a little bit stressful. <laughs> a little bit stressful <laughs> because I feel like I didn't start college that long ago, but I met you while I was a freshman at Howard. Maybe months, maybe weeks before your Broadway debut in Soul Doctor as Nina Simone. Um, but with Broadway Advocacy Coalition, you all have recently had an event with uh, speaking about theater students. And a lot of the time we have conversations about black students in PWIs. Uh, as an alum of one of the only HBCUs with a BFA program, what do you think can be told to black students, you know, no matter where they are? What do you think they can know immediately as far as studying theater and then moving into working? You know, it's, I like to think of it as like, I remember Reggie Ray. Reggie Ray <laughs> is one of the reasons I went to Howard because I, so I went to a white high school. I, I, I live in Atlanta, born and raised, black side of town, south side, church with black people, schools with black people up until I went to high school. And then I went to a white high school because um, I was one of those dual magnet kids. I needed the math and the science and the art. And that institution was the best in Georgia. And I did not have the greatest experience, but I had been kind of like, I was in the white experience. So when it came time to go to college, I was like, I'm sorry, who goes to an HBCU? Black people, ew. Like, <laughs> I was very much like, no, I'm gonna go to Northwestern. I'm gonna go to University of Florida. <laughs> and I took a visit to Howard, and I think something in that visit like stuck with me. On top of Reggie Ray telling my mom, send a girl to a black school, and other <laughs> you know, being like, she sound like an ignorant person right now, but just send her to the school and she'll figure it out. So when I got to Howard, I remember Reggie telling me like, college, school doesn't give you talent. Like, you're gonna leave pretty much with what you came in with. School, he said, it's like grocery shopping. It's like, oh, okay, you pick a technique off the shelf. I might use this, I might not. Oh, okay, this is Stanislavski. I might could use this. Oh, breathing technique. It's just, it's school presents you with a bunch of different techniques that you can pick and choose and decide what you want to put in your toolbox. But who you came in it with as is how you're going to leave. So the thing about school for me was the opportunity to try. 
the opportunity to fail, the opportunity to network and, and make relationships with people. I wanted to go to Howard as a uh, jazz vocal minor. And they were like, okay, it'll take you six years. And I said, no, thank you. Um, so I spent so much time on the third floor and I pledged SAI because I was trying to be a better musician. Um, any Anytime the kids on the third floor were doing anything, I was always up there because I wanted to learn from them. I was like, these is the real singers. So I, my time at Howard was like, how much can I soak up? How much can I get? I, I'm still mad that I left Howard without ever spending any time on the second floor. Like I could have had a website, pictures, all them design people. I never, they're hanging out. Stuff I could have been on. I could have, like, I never went over to the school to see and did a short film. Like, I was tripping. But I, I want kids to, to understand that, first of all, school is not the end-all, be-all. I remember students who left Howard because they were sophomores or juniors and had never been on the main stage. And I was like, that don't mean you won't be successful in your life. Like, these organizations, these institutions pick the shows that they do based on what they can afford and what pe what students they have. It just might not be your season here. It doesn't mean that you won't go out in the world and be uber successful. I just want kids to understand that, like school is a moment. It is not the mirror for what the rest of your life will be like. I played aunties, grandmas, cousins, and friends in Howard because I was 5'11", and I had a certain presence that most of the other people did not have. So while I was in school, I was like, damn, I'm just going to be an auntie the rest of my life. And the first show I booked out of college was playing an 18-year-old. I was like, this don't make sense. <laughs> debut, I was the romantic lead who got to kiss the boy. I was like, I never got to kiss the boy. This don't make sense. So it was just like... But I, I remember my spirit slightly being a little broken at Howard and not understanding that like school is four years of a very specific time and moment. That time should be you figuring out who you are, what you stand on, what your morals are. When you get out into the real world and start auditioning, the things you're going to say no to, I don't want to be naked or I don't want to be Keisha, whatever your rules are for yourself. Me and my agents, right, we have a, a, a <laughs> I call it the Keisha and chicken clause. He know I don't play Keisha and I don't be on the screen eating chicken. And he knows what that means. He understands that, I, I mean, I can do this, but that's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. And I'm not trying to be a buffoon there's nothing wrong with that it's just not what I want in my life so I want kids to understand that there is this notion that because I'm young and starting out I have to say yes to everything that ain't it there is some kind of correlation between like young and paying dues and abuse that we just need to eradicate right now. You can stand for something at 21 and 22. You can say no at 21 and 22. You can decide these are the roles I want to take. This is the path I want to lay out for myself. And I'm not taking anything that will steer me away from that. So it's, it's just an understanding that life happens immediately. You don't have to wait till you're 30 to have a voice in the community. You don't have to wait till you're 35 or have a Tony before you speak out or before you, you say no. Like, I just want to empower kids from a young age, no matter what you study, no matter where you are, to know that, like, your voice is, is valid and valuable and trust yourself and follow your instincts. And... and People think because people got Tonys and they are of a certain stat status or stature that they are <laughs> about something. It's a lot of people with Tonys who's on some bullshit. It's a lot of people yeah. 
artists who are not talented, who can't get their stuff out of a paper bag with a chainsaw. Like, just because people are out here thriving don't mean they know what the hell they're doing. So trust yourself. When you clock it, trust it. Don't be out here thinking you just have to do everything and say everything just because you're trying to establish yourself. Like, stand up for yourself from day one. Trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, like I said, I met you when I was a freshman, and ever ever since then, on on some real Howard stuff. You know, there's the community thing. We've talked a lot about community and accountability. Like that's one thing for sure from Reggie Ray. Accountability is going to happen. Like I'm, I don't know about y'all, but I'm a clock somebody next to me if they're not doing what they're supposed yes. to do. And then with the community, I I know that Amber's been someone I could always reach out to. Like, if I had some random question or needed a random lunch and was stressed in New York, I could be like, Amber, do you want to have lunch? <laughs> and she'd do it. Uh, but everyone's not so familiar. Everyone doesn't know that. Everyone hasn't seen you and shuffle along. <laughs> so we want to play a game. Okay, I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> we want to play a game. Um, and we're going to just go through some different highlights of your career um after college to the present and for every role and show we name we want you to give us just one word that comes to your head and then like five seconds as to why that word you ready i think so oh lord okay, okay. <laughs> so after you graduated from the howard university um you were hu you were in home in atlanta for a little bit and one of the shows you did in Atlanta before moving to New York was For Colored Girl. Girls. <laughs> What's your word? Tribulations. Tribulations. <laughs> we, almost, we almost had to hit the buzzer on it. <laughs> Why tribulations? To say it like a kind way to say it. Um, I'll say tribulations because... Um, it was the, I was actually, I started as assistant stage manager because um, Atlanta works more in seasons. Like all the auditions are in June. And if you miss that cutoff, like you are screwed. So I had kind of missed the cutoff and Jasmine Guy was the director and I did the gig and they were like, Jasmine Guy's assistant. And I was like, first of all, I'm an actor. I don't assist anyone. And then I was like, bitch, ain't no other job. Go be her assistant. So I started, I, literally, I was sitting next to Jasmine. I was picking up her child from school. I was getting people coffee, like a whole actor with a whole degree. But I didn't know that my aura, Jasmine was like, Amber, I knew from day one that you weren't nobody's assistant. She was like, there'd be times and I'd be trying to teach the girls on stage music and they'd be singing flat and I'd hear you humming under your breath the right notes because they was flat. And she was like, I was like, who is this bitch who ain't an assistant? <laughs> so <laughs> when the show went on the road, Jasmine was like, you're going to play Lady in Orange. And I was like, so it was tribulations to get there yeah. and a lot of this, but yeah, tribulations. Okay. All right. Well, moving on, our next one is going to have to be um, your part in the off-Broadway production of Rent. Rent. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Oh. Okay, five seconds while you say that. It was beautiful because it was my introduction to New York. It was the first big thing I booked. And it just, like, began, that was how my career began. Mm -hmm. And next, we're going to roll into your Broadway debut as Nina Simone in Soul Doctor. Life-changing. Life-changing. Yeah. And tribulation very hard a lot of tears but 
I mean, I am known for that role. Like I still get work off of people who saw Soul Doctor. So even though it was a flop, <laughs> it still changed my life. <laughs> um, yeah, theater is everywhere, like you said. Uh, and you did a production with Shakespeare Theater Company in DC playing Aldonza and Man of La Mancha. What's your word? Yeah, my word is strength. Mm. Very hard show. I mean, the role alone getting gang raped by like six men on stage, like it, it oof. But being like, that was my one of my first, like I'm a real leading lady. I got my own dressing room. They done flew me down from New York. I am somebody. And I'm in DC, you know, where I graduated from. The kids get to come and see me. Um, I just felt really powerful, really strong. And like, I was kind of settling into myself. Yeah. yeah. I was a kid who went to see. <laughs> <laughs> Lexi said I was there. Um, from there, we're going to go to, uh, of course, Peggy Mariah and Hamilton. I've seen every bootleg I can. What's your word? <laughs> My word is money. Mm-hmm. I took it for the money. I, you know, I will say it out loud. I didn't care about Hamilton. I didn't really want to be in it, but I knew I would make a ridiculous amount of money and I'd be able to take that money and invest in myself. So money, because she made coin. Amen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then not too long ago, you spent some time in Cali doing Witness Uganda. And what's your word? Ooh, um, oh, heartbreak, because Darius Smith died. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, so many great things happened in LA doing Witness Uganda, but that moment will always be stamped with that's when Darius died. And I will never forget, he died on a Monday and having to do a show on Tuesday. Um, that day was probably the hardest day of my life. I still don't know how I got through that show. Um, but yeah, whew, great show, but just a, a, a hard time, a very difficult time. Definitely. And in the pandemic, we also got an, an announcement that you're working on a project with one of your co-founders from Black Women on Broadway, Jocelyn Beal, and that would be Goddess. Goddess. What's your word for that upcoming project? I need like the three words. That's like dream come true. Okay. okay. People, always, people always ask like, what's the dream role? And my response would be like, it's the role that is created for me. It doesn't exist. And Jocelyn has always wanted to write a role for me. And I didn't audition. Like when Jocelyn came on the team, she was like, Amber, monitor goddess. And these people didn't know me from a hole in the floor. They had never seen me. I, I never sang for them. She's just like, Amber, she's the goddess. And so to be typecast <laughs> as a goddess, <laughs> but just like everything about the show, everything that it's gonna give me the opportunity like to do, like this is the shit I've been working for eight years to finally get a chance to do. Um, it's delayed because of Corona, but I believe it's going to come and it's going to do everything that I wanted to do for my life and my career. So dream come true. Mm, yeah. It's going to do so much for us when we get our tickets as well. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely be there. So ready. Um, okay, well, I think, sadly, that is the end of our interview with you. As Are there any final words or um, just please let us know where we can find... Broadway BAC and, and Black Women on Broadway, everything. Let us know everything. Um, I'm all over Instagram being foolish at 
at Amber Iman underscore. You can follow me there. Uh, B-Way Advocacy Coalition. We are on the gram. We have a website where you can find out all the things that we're doing, how you can volunteer, how you can stay abreast of all the forums and just moments for community gathering. Um, we have a day of healing every month. We um, are planning our next forum. So please just follow us and stay abreast of all of that. Uh, Black Women on Broadway on Instagram. We are announcing our writer's workshop in the next day or so. So, and it's gonna be like a limited, like 50 women only, cause we want it to feel like an intimate moment. Um, so follow us at Black Women on Broadway on Instagram. And I just also wanna say shout out to y'all, two sisters do it. You know, like it's, this ain't easy. Creating <laughs> as proven by our entire day. <laughs> no, it's not easy, but we appreciate it. We appreciate it. This is why we that's why we did it and why again why we called it you good sis. We say this all the time, but it's it's important for us to check in and also for the option of the answer to that question being no to exist. Um, so that that was really important to us, and that's why we are able to show up is because we can come to this our full selves and truthful. <laughs> And we need more of that because it's a lot of not that in the atmosphere. Amen. Yeah, like I said, we don't need to wait for a Broadway credit to be that. <laughs> These holes, no. <laughs> no, we, we love you. We appreciate you doing this for us. It's been absolutely incredible. Thanks, guys. This was so much fun. I'm glad I got to do it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Fantastic. That was good. That was great. <laughs> We're pros. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and now, oh, we are not therapists. Did I take my birth control? I think I did. Alright. So, Kayla, I do have to let you know that we're still not therapists. Mm. We are not therapists. But my parents are, but and parents it doesn't are. look that hard. <laughs> I wish I said that about nursing. Yeah. Yeah, nurses, it doesn't look so hard. Therapist by training. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we are not therapists, our wellness segment. Mm -hmm. I do have a question for you today. What's up, boo? When you saw your mental health as something that you wanted to look at and work on and, and grow in caring for yourself, what was the hardest pill to swallow Ooh. at the top of that journey? Ooh. Hmm. Okay. 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 <laughs> I have a two part answer. Okay. <laughs> so I would say the first time that I started understanding for myself, I do, I do, I do have therapist parents. Um, but in my household, they were not therapists. It actually took me a really long time to understand what my parents did. Mm -hmm. So I, I wouldn't even say that I intrinsically got that um, awareness from them. But I know the first time that I noticed my own mental health uh, decline and knew that I had to take action about it was when I was a teenager and I was in high school. I was having a really, really huff, tough time. I think it was the first time that I experienced depression. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'll, I'll be blunt. I'll be honest. There were times where, uh, no, not there were times. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I was going to remove myself from this planet. I am so 
so happy that I did not. But um, it's funny, I was talking with my therapist about this on Monday. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, what made you... Because I didn't really reach out. I didn't tell my parents that I was feeling that way. And she said, you know, what made you take that step back? What made you save yourself? And I had two thoughts. And there were one, I remember them to this day. One, I thought, I have a baby brother. What am I gonna? What are they gonna tell him? Mm-hmm. You know, what is he gonna do when he starts to understand? Because at that time he was newborn, one years old, mm-hmm. and I was like, what is he gonna understand of me when I'm gone? What are what's he gonna be told? I want to be here for him. And then two, I thought, um, what if I'm a really cool twenty something? Ah, uh. I really did. And those were the two things that kept me on this earth for real. And I don't know how I had the strength at that time to just have those thoughts and go, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna step away from that situation. But I did. And then I think because of that, I then took the strong black woman approach. And I was like, I'm so strong. I can get myself through anything. I went through. I've been through everything. <laughs> I've been through everything. I've been through emotional, physical abuse and, and horrible relationships and suicidal thoughts and depression and anxiety and all of it. And I've made my I've made it through and happy and smiling and not regretting a single fucking thing. But I think once I started last year talking with a friend who was actually more of a father figure, my my dad from Book of Mormon. Uh-huh. Um, I was talking with Jacques, sweet Jacques. I was talking with Jacques, and um, and he said to me, I was, I was just kind of toying with the idea of therapy and, and saying I wanted to go, which I'd been saying for years, but I'd never pulled the trigger because same, oh my God, the same strong black woman conversation we've been having, Lexi and I privately, um, I just didn't want to like go to a doctor. I didn't want to find a doctor. Mm. And I was talking with him about therapy because I'd heard that he'd been in a long time. And he said one phrase to me that made me go, okay, I'm going to go. And it was, yes, you've been strong this whole time. Yes, you've been taking care of yourself and you've come out on top and look at your life. It's great. But do you think that another perspective would help you. Do you think that maybe you're still running into walls every now and then because you've just hit your limit of knowledge? Mm. And I was like, damn. <laughs> I was like, damn, Jacques, you are a wise ass man. That's the point. That's the point. And that really made me do it because I went, I went, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not too proud to say that like I don't have all the answers. You know what I mean? And I went, oh my God, I guess. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I reached the end of my limit of like what I can do to help myself. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna go to therapy. And so um, that, so my biggest pill that I had to swallow was that I did not have all the answers. Mm. Yeah, 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 because I, I thought I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What um, about you? My biggest I well, had two big pills to swallow. Um, one of them being to talk to your friends mm-hmm. like and i think i've said this on the show before but one of my friends said to me uh a, a couple of years after school one of my uh college friends told me you know your friends want to be there for you you know when someone is your friend and that involved mm-hmm. connected loving like truly loving and, and has the capacity to do it they want to be there for you yeah. and when they see you struggling and not wanting to to share or ask it's also hard for your friends and it it wasn't a guilt trip thing it wasn't a you know like you didn't say anything or you didn't it was like no no no. like as your friend i want to 
relieve you of some of, of, of that stress or yeah. some of those thoughts that are rotating. And yeah. that, that was a difficult pill to swallow <laughs> because as much as I talk when I'm comfortable, I can talk around a point for sure. <laughs> for, skillfully. Skillfully. Um, and then the, uh, the other hard pill to swallow was actual pills. <laughs> like, yeah. like having a prescription oh and taking it. That was a hard pill to swallow because I wanted to be like, like you said, like, I can solve this. I can handle this. You know, I can figure this out without whatever. And um, one, some of it was doctors not communicating with each other well yeah. enough. So I would like have, I have one, one prescription, well, one and a half ones as needed for anxiety. But the other, it was just like, they would want to pair other stuff. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you're talking to me about stuff that was relevant in the past mm -hmm. but isn't a part of my day-to-day -day life and difficulty with my mental health so why am i still i don't understand mm -hmm. this prescription um and also because i would think i would think that my once i learned certain things about taking care of myself that some of it will go away so i'm like okay i feel better now i don't need to take anything right. <laughs> then i don't take anything and um not okay <laughs> but that's a learning curve it was it was i want to figure out how to function as best and independently as i can mm -hmm. without neglecting the parts where i need help that i can't give myself yeah and that was that was the hardest that was the hardest pill to swallow That's but the now key. the bitch has an alarm on her phone to swallow them <laughs> okay every day because ooh, ooh, i'm proud of you and that's it and that's honestly <laughs> we are not therapists but we're two growing ass bitches we are <laughs> I'm so happy that we're well and we're here and that we show up. Yeah. 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 It was it was also a Yeah. I'm gonna leave it there. Yay, I feel that. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Full out. Full out. Do you wanna go first? There is no gas in our apartment. There's not. Oh my god. Apparently there was a gas leak. So they had to shut the gas off. But then the gas leak was a result of something that wasn't supposed to be happening. And so now there are inspections involved. And they, you know what, luckily delivered hot plates to our door. They did. And um, Because the white women upstairs, I mean, were on it. They said, do you all want to be a part of this group email? And he said, said, yeah. Here's, here's the Gmail. Okay, honey, all three of them. Here's you good sis too. Um, this is the second time I've experienced something like this in New York City. I'm still not leaving. Um, no. but it's part of the culture. It sucks. I personally have a negative COVID test and haven't left the house outside of walks with my mask on and seeing absolutely no one that I know. <laughs> um, so if anyone has a COVID free kitchen, they would like to set out for meal prep. I have groceries that need to be cooked. Yeah. Mama's going to die without the stove. <laughs> <laughs> I, however, a microwave queen. Ah. See, I, I looked at all of all, I opened the fridge and freezer and looked at I was like, I can't microwave 80% of this. So, you know what? The, the landlord is being better than most landlords are, and we have had some solutions on that front. But mm -hmm. who that was a journey of ours. It was ours. a test. Uh, <laughs> my second full out came to my spirit because of the announcement that Brandy and Monica are doing a versus. Sitting up in my room. I'm a 
Anyway, um, Brandy and Monica, Brandy and Monica are doing a versus, and we can talk about that more at length when it happens. It's happening at Tyler Perry Studios, which is hilarious for two reasons. So One, it's happening at Tyler Perry Studios. Two, Tyler Perry ain't really know what was happening there, and then I saw that he saw it was happening, and then he tweeted something like, "A word that's happening here." He said, I'm sorry, I'm staying on a different part of campus. I ain't know nothing. Okay. I didn't know anything about Tyler that. Tyler Perry at this point is Oprah. He's like, I, my name can be slapped on that shit, right. but I'm going to be in this vacation Y'all house. can take the golf cart over here and wave high <laughs> if you want to. So, my full out is for the camp counselor in 1998 who stole my Never Say Never CD by Brandy. A tragedy. A tragedy. I've heard about this camp counselor so many times and I never cease to be angry. It's when <laughs> I learned that you can't trust everyone. That's when I learned it. Yeah. Because there there were a few CDs that I was obsessed with that young. I was obsessed with Whitney Houston, My Love Is Your Love. I was obsessed with Never Say Never. I was obsessed with uh, Off the Wall, Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. and The Preacher's Wife. And mm, nope, that's it. I love it. That's it. I love it. Those my are my list, albums at my the time. List is so different. <laughs> I love it. Those are my albums at that time. Like that summer. No, not even because my love is your love came out after that. Anyway, I brought my CD to camp so they could play it in the little boom box during playtime or arts and crafts or whatever. They're like, bring your music if you want and blah blah blah. And then I put, I never pulled it out that day. Yeah. It was in my locker the whole time. It wasn't there when I left. And my mom was like, somebody stole your locker. And I was like, stole your CD. And I was like, no one knew it was in there except yeah. this one counselor. And my mom said, okay, so that counselor stole your CD. She was some teenager. Wow. Now, I'm going to say full out, girl, I hope you still have that CD. If you're going to steal it, you better take care of yeah, it. Yeah, truly. And I hope you enjoy it thoroughly to this day. And... I am going to enjoy both Brandy and Monica's side of this, but if she's not rooting for Brandy, honey, you better be rooting for Brandy. Can't believe she would steal from a child. And I was, I looked like Lavender from Matilda. I was so cute. You truly did. Why would you steal from me? She stole my Never Say Never CD in the summer of 1998, and I won't forget it. I hope it sits with her. I hope she looks through her storage and finds it and is like, when did I get this? Oh, yes. I stole it from a child. Yep. That's my full out. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Right. So for my full out, um, two quick things right off the top. I'm going to say happy birthday, Kiki Palmer. Um, used to be my arch nemesis. Now is my best friend. So <laughs> All in your head. <laughs> All in my head. She has no idea. <laughs> she definitely should have pulled security on me when I met her last year, but it's totally fine. Work. Um, and then my second thing really quick is just going to be a, a um, rest in peace to Chi Chi Devane. Mm. Oh my God. <sighs> um, watching everyone rally behind her for this last month or so that she's been going through that has been really beautiful to see people pull out. Like I love seeing the old, old photos of Queens, you know, from before they were on drag race and mm-hmm. like, just seeing like where they all started back when it was like super underground super club kit you know like it just it's very cool to like just see her be remembered through all of these people who we would obviously know have no idea they cross paths or whatever Mm. you know i mean it makes sense but 
it just was beautiful to see her life celebrated um, on the day that she went. And yeah, I just, ugh, we love, we love Chi Chi and her split sole jazz shoe. Her I just, I'll never forget it. Shoe. I'll never forget it. And her it. band dance routine. Ugh. But here's my full out. My full out is um, simple. Names aren't hard. I just want people... I I was scrolling through Instagram yesterday, I believe, and it was the anniversary of uh, Aaliyah's death, Mm -hmm. and someone went through the trouble of pulling out the clip of Aaliyah saying her name is Aaliyah, and then the interviewer who was interviewing her said, like, Muhammad Ali. So yeah, like Muhammad Ali. It's Aliyah. And I that blew my mind. And here's the here's the thing. As someone with a very complicated last name, I just think we really should do the respect of um <laughs> celebrity advocate I guess we really should do the respect to these celebrities of like learning their freaking names like last a few weeks ago we talked about Uzo Aduba on the podcast Mm -hmm. and I know her name is Uzo Aduba but out of respect for her name I went and looked up typed into Google Uzo Aduba's name and there it was a pronunciation chart and 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 sound bite and I was like thank you Uzo Aduba Rihanna is Rihanna it's Rihanna Aaliyah is Aaliyah I just think like we should internalize it it's not that hard why did I go through this whole time and have to come upon what is it like the 15 year anniversary of Aliyah's death no. to know that her name is Aliyah 19 I think something like I mean something years. wild yeah. and I had no idea her name is Aliyah I just feel personally that sits with me in a way that where I'm like I've been disrespectful and mm. <laughs> I think everyone should internalize people's names in the same way I've been disrespectful if you come upon someone and you're like that's a different looking name you ask for the pronunciation you write it down somewhere you make sure you remember it and then you internalize it and you apply it it's the same thing as like freaking pronouns you know someone tells you their pronouns fine it may be in practice a little hard for you to uh to initiate because it's not what you're used to I just slapped Lexi <laughs> leg and it may be hard for you to like put into practice immediately but you have to actively put it into practice respect people i just oh, oh my god please respect people i'm gonna end it there that's my full out yeah okay and then we did we did it so signing off this has been you good sis if you loved us which i know you did please 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 um rate review subscribe us wherever where podcasts are uh email us at you good pod at gmail.com our twitter is at you good pod our instagram is at you good pod um we have some really cool collaborations coming up which is just like so wild please stay tuned for those um lex any final thoughts um like kayla said email us at you good sis pod we'd love to take this we are not therapist to the next situation level. and actually talk to people who aren't us in our own brains so if you have anything to contribute we will read it <laughs> <laughs> anything and reply um but yeah i think that's that's all i have i mean like i said if you have a kitchen <laughs> In New York City, and Listen. you have a negative COVID test, as do I. Let me know. And by the time um, our next podcast comes out, I'll be 28. Yay! 
I once ran into a girl. I guess the show is an ending. I once <laughs> ran into a girl in an audition who told me to guess her age, mm-hmm. and I, I think I guessed like twenty eight or something. We had we had an Instagram relationship before, but I was finally meeting her in person. I said, "You look so good. You're in for this." Well, she for some reason told me to guess her age. I think I guessed like twenty seven, twenty eight. She was like, "No." higher and she was trying to tell me that she's in her 30s and I was like so how old are you then and she was like I've never told anyone my age for the last 10 years and that's how I stay working I personally don't believe in that (laughs) I don't believe in that I'm like I'm gonna tell y'all my age so y'all can see that black don't crack (laughs) honey because 28 is looking right still so young like this I don't understand people thinking anything like, I don't think people are super, super grown. Like, well, maybe 50, yeah. 55. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, maybe I can now look at your face and kind of guess. But anything before, like, 55, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I can give you, like, a 10-year range. And no one's and saying you're old. And I just don't old. know. No yeah. one's going, you, you too old, you can't be casting. You yeah. know, whatever. Also, since mm, 28 So I'm going to scream it from the rooftops. I'm so happy to be turning 28. And, um... That's all. You gonna be good, sis? I am going to take more naps and be good. I love it. Are you gonna be good? I'm gonna be great. All right. (laughs) Bye. Bye.